I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Wednesday, June 19, 2019. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. So we had Kabuki Theater, it's passed, the Fed did nothing, the market heard what it wanted to hear, that they're going to maintain an easy money policy if they need to. That's all the market needs to hear. Just taking a look at the market in and around the point in time when the Fed made their announcement, you can see that this is the 2 o'clock to 2.05 candle. The market goes down, the market goes up, it picks a direction, and it floated sideways to higher for the remainder of the day. What I found interesting was, last night, in no uncertain terms, we talked about 291.40. Where does that come from? It comes from the high from June 11, right here. The phony reversal candle. We talked about it yesterday. Remember where the market opened yesterday was within one penny of that number. And today, after the Federal Reserve announcement or FOMC decision, the market gyrates around making a low of 291.47, just seven cents north of that number. Is that an accident? Is it a coincidence? Potentially. But what about when we look at it from a 60-minute chart perspective? We were looking at this for the last couple of days. Beginning yesterday morning on the gap up, we knew there were really two important numbers down below that we used as somewhat of a bogey, if you will, knowing that an hourly close below wouldn't be good for the market. There were two numbers, 291.40, And then the one below would have been the low of this candle, happens to be 290.99. We talked about both those numbers last night. We came within 7 cents of the 291.40, and the market took off to the upside. Anybody shocked? Anybody surprised? Probably not. Has anything changed from yesterday? Absolutely not. We took a look at some other charts last night. We're not going to do a repeat performance. We're just going to give the net-net. The net net is the market can still get up to around that 295 area, give or take. Maybe it comes up short, maybe it spikes through a little bit, but any close above that high, that previous high, 294.95, that's the May 1 high right here. The high is 294.95. Any daily close above that high, especially two days above that high, and likely Instead of going lower, price is going higher. When is there going to be a turn if there's going to be a turn? That's a legitimate question, don't you think? Again, last night I went through an exercise to show you we're coming into that zone where time should be running out. If I'm wrong and the market is not going to turn back down and we're going to make new highs, then two things are going on. A, I'm wrong, but... A subset one, I'll be wrong small and fast. I'm beginning to take short positions tomorrow and Friday. The higher, the better. If they close above the high, I'll be wrong. I'll have to sell at a loss. I'll lick my chops. I'll reverse the position and ultimately ride the market or the SPY 
up at least another hundred handles, likely more. Not in one day, not in one week, but that would be the likely scenario. Let me address something else. I understand it looks, it feels, it sounds really, really wrong. It sounds like I'm a moron. I get it. Again, it's the 80-20 rule. When it feels really, really wrong, it's generally right. And when it feels really, really right, it's generally not. And that works out about 80% of the time. It's the 80-20 rule. What else do I have? I have the email indicator. There's still a pretty good trickle going on between the comments under the video, in part, and the emails trickling in. Understand that a lot of traders have short positions. Well, think about that for a second. Here we are, quadruple witching options expiration week. I didn't look at the numbers, so I don't know the raw data, but I can tell you just from experience, just from the emails coming in, there are a lot of puts purchased in this market. And unfortunately, a lot of traders buy the short-term puts. They're buying like Friday's expiration on Monday. Now, I understand what they're doing. I understand what you're doing if you're doing it. I understand the leverage. I understand the possibilities. But I also understand when they don't work, they don't work really fast and really, really bad. And with the weekly expirations, it has drawn a lot of traders into that option game that really have no business trading options. They don't really understand what they're doing to themselves. Put it this way. The average options trading account that's opened, and for this we'll assume most options accounts are opened with a few thousand dollars. Most options accounts that are opened like that, let's just use a round number and say opened with $5,000. Most of them are gone in 90 days. And I'm being very, very generous. Doesn't mean you can't use options to your advantage. Doesn't mean they don't work out fantastic. But you have to follow the rules. And when I say the rules, if you follow everything that's in the Lazy E-Mini Trader course, there are plenty of traders that use these strategies to trade options, weekly options, monthly options, whatever it is. They know where they're wrong. They have objectives on the trade. They understand where to take profits. And they understand how to protect themselves. We understand how to be wrong small and fast if we have to be wrong at all. Now, before we move on, I want to change topics a second. Let's get slightly out of the lane, but it's in the same camp as the Federal Reserve. I happen to enjoy the discussions on CNBC on days like today because I do want to hear what they're saying about the Fed. I want to hear all the rhetoric. Really, it's because I'm going to get material for this video. That's really the underlying reason. Well, I got some material for the video. There was a former Fed governor on television today discussing the economy, the Fed. I don't know exactly what he was discussing, but the segment that I did hear went like this. They were talking about the markets, and he made a comment that said, and this is almost a direct quote. I'm phrasing it, but it's pretty close. Markets get it wrong sometimes. Markets got it wrong on interest rates this time around. That's what he was saying. And what I found interesting is, and don't get me wrong, if you watched it, you know who I'm talking about. I don't really know this person. I just know that he was a former Fed governor. I'm sure he's very, very smart. I'm sure he's an accomplished academic and whatever else he's done. But on this topic, 
He is wrong. How do I know he's wrong? Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, the market is right 100% of the time. And the fact that the market has driven interest rates down to the levels that it has tells you and has been telling you that the Fed was going to change their interest rate policy. And this started months and months ago when they hadn't changed the policy yet. Here's the 30-year Treasury interest rate. March 1st, rates have been falling ever since. Do this exercise. I didn't do this and I'm not going to do this. I pretty much know the answer and I'm going to be right probably 75-80% of the time. But in here, was anybody discussing cutting interest rates in 2019? I know somebody's going to do the exercise, so we'll find out on a post underneath the video. Whether I'm wrong or right doesn't matter. It's likely we weren't hearing the same rhetoric we're hearing today. So therefore, what moved first? The market and then the Fed? Or the other way around, meaning the Fed's policy or their policy statement or policy stance? The market dictates what the Fed does, whether they want to admit it or not. They can have all the two-day meetings they want around a big, huge table, catered lunch, the whole nine yards. They're all wildly smart people in their own right, but most of them come from the world of academia, not the real world. Now, just like everything else, there's a flip side. The flip side is they're sly like a fox. They know exactly what's going on. They know things really aren't as good as some of their own numbers even indicate. We've looked at charts, for example, like the XLE. The XLE is not a healthy chart from a long-term perspective. This doesn't speak of a screaming hot global economy. Since we're taking a look around the horn, let's get back in our lane and go take a look at Camp IWM. If the S&P was going to go higher and the Dow was going to go higher, likely the IWM and others would also go higher. We're still seeing strength in the IWM. Now today, it was pretty much on par with the SPY. So they were both up about one-third of 1%. It's interesting we're above the moving averages, This is day one closing above the moving averages. It's meaningful to a degree. Once we get above yesterday's high, that would be more meaningful. And we close above yesterday's high, that would be more meaningful to a larger degree. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. However, we have to continue to look from a long-term perspective. And this is my favorite market-leading indicator. We are not anywhere near the old highs in the IWM. There has to be a reason for that. Tie that back into the conversation we had with the Fed. I'm not suggesting they follow the IWM. That's not the case. What I'm suggesting is there are things that suggest things aren't so rosy out there like other people might want to believe. So even though we can make a new high in the S&P, for example, if we did, and then we turn back down later and the IWM and the XLE and others, including the transports, never came anywhere near their old highs and everything turned down, we would still look back and say, see, it was a canary in the coal mine. Things weren't as good as everybody believed. The market turned down anyway. Look what happened to the leading indicators. The point there is their leading indicators until they're not, nobody's been able to prove to me how they're not leading indicators. And from time to time, I get some pushback on that. 
They don't necessarily act as leading indicators all day, every day, but in large part, to a large degree, the IWM and the transports have been steadfast leading indicators, at least for me, in my trading, in my investing, in my world. Speaking of the transports, we take a stop down at the transportation department every single day, and what we find here is nothing different than we found yesterday. They were up a touch, but... Two-tenths of 1%, 20 bucks on the transports, nothing doing there. We're still trapped in between the series of moving averages above, the 20 moving average below. We saw what happened to the IWM. Is it possible the transports try and break out into and above these moving averages? Sure, if we get another melt-up phase in the market, they absolutely will do that. The VIX. I got a lot of emails today on the VIX. Traders looking to get into the VIX. Why? Because I said when it gets into the mid or even into the 14s, specifically the low 14s, I'm interested in the VIX. I'm interested in the VIX. And the answer to all of you is nothing's changed. It looks like it's wrong because everything's going in the other direction. But those end up being the best trades the majority of the time. You're not going to win them all. Certainly can be wrong. Again, it's the 80-20 rule, but it is what it is. When it feels really, really wrong, this is where you begin to scale into the VIX. You don't have to buy it all in one place. Whatever vehicle you're using, VXX or any number of the other exchange-traded products, options on those products, whatever you're doing, if you're doing it, when it feels wrong, I get it, but you need time. It might not work out by Friday. You need time. If you're playing this by options, for example, don't play next week's expiration. That's not enough time. You need a few months. Go out a couple to three months, sit back, and let it happen. If we begin closing above the old highs and the VIX is going to go a lot lower or whatever type of position you have, you lick your wounds, you go on, but you're not losing 50% in a position like that. If we make new highs, we're close to risk. Treat this business as a business and you'll be successful. Follow the rules laid out in the course and you'll be successful. Watch these videos every single day. Inside the numbers members, get those numbers every single day. Those three pillars together. Inside the numbers, the Lazy E-Mini Trader course, and these videos. Those three pillars together are creating wealth across the board for a lot of people. I can tell you that. All right, sorry, I'm back off the soapbox. You know me, I'm serious about this business. Traders want to know about Bitcoin. Let's talk for a minute about Bitcoin. Where's it going? Is it going to continue going higher? And if so, where's it going to run into overhead resistance? I worked out the numbers. Here's what has to happen. First of all, we have to have a solid weekly close. If we fall apart this week, all bets are off. But if Bitcoin continues higher, or at least closes the week, at least well into the 9,000s, I don't want to teeter on 9,000. It's got to be around 9,100 or more, give or take, but I don't want to be teetering around 9,000. That's one of those trick, trap, fool, and frustrate crew deals. If they close solid, for example, where they are now, where are the numbers on the upside? If they're going to run higher, where are they going? I got three numbers for you. Write these down if you're interested in Bitcoin. The first one is 10,130, give or take. But that's where I think the first order of business would be on the upside. 
if we're going to run past 9,000 and get to 10,000, they may stop short of it for a day or two, obviously, but 10,130 is actually what I worked out as the overhead resistance price area. The second one, 10,760 and then 11,270. How do you use those? Well, if I'm long Bitcoin and I'm looking to sell portions of Bitcoin at specific targets, that's one way to trade. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying if you were doing that, then those would be three targets that I would be looking for on the upside. Am I long Bitcoin right now? No, I don't have any Bitcoin. How about the financials? The XLF. So we had an update in the market, and it wasn't a huge update across the board. The SPX, meaning the S&P Cash Index, was up less than nine points, right? So that's the third of a percent we talked about before. The Dow was up 38 points. That's not a lot. That's more of a rounding error for the Dow. And the Nasdaq Composite was up 33 points. That was okay, up about four-tenths of one percent. And here we come to the financials being flat, but still down three cents. So it was down. It was not up with the rest of the markets. Why is that? Well, a couple of things. There could be an excuse made for the interest rate argument. We talk about this all the time. If the Fed is going to try and keep interest rates low, or if the market's going to keep interest rates low, whatever the case is, then the banks don't benefit by default. The banks benefit when interest rates rise and we pay more for interest and the banks don't. When the spread widens between what the bank buys money at and sells money at, right? They're selling it to us. They're buying it from the Fed. When that spread widens, that goes right to their bottom line. And by the way, I know they borrow money and I know we borrow money. I'm using the term buy just for fun. So anyway, back to the XLF. That's a potential reason why the XLF did not participate in the upside of the market today. It could be either that, or here's the other thing. It went up to test this double top up here, failed, and backed away. And we still have the same story in the XLF. We're above all the moving averages, but until and unless the weekly close is above 27.47, there's nothing doing. However... As long as it continues to go sideways and continues to stay and remain above all those moving averages, the likely story is it's going to push through that number. That's what I see on this chart. What else do I see on this chart? Well, I see one other thing on this chart, and then we're going to backtrack and talk about the same thing on another chart because I forgot. But I see the volume at 58 million shares on the XLF. Now, that's not tremendous volume. On this, it's about the average daily volume, yet it's over the average daily volume. It caught my eye. I think it's interesting. Why was there such volume today across the financial sector in the XLF? What's going on over there? That's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Tried to break out to a new high here from the high made on the 11th of June. Failed. Heavy volume. Is that the signs of a reversal in the making? I don't know yet. We're watching. We need to take it in in pieces. The market, or any chart for that matter, doesn't necessarily tell us everything in one day. That's why we continue to build the puzzle. I said we were going to backtrack, and the backtrack is to talk about the SPY volume, not just today, but the last two days. Yesterday, we had a gap higher, and the market did it on better-than-average volume 
we have to take note of that there was some, not a ton, but some participation behind that rally. When you look at the previous five or six days when the market was going sideways, that was on much less volume. But then also what you'll notice is that while the market was rising over here, it was still on what is now the average daily volume and yesterday's move higher was on better than the average daily volume. So I have to take note of that. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Now, today's volume, we have to use a little bit differently because we had Kabuki Theater. There's a lot of jockeying for position around Kabuki Theater. It injects volume into the market by default. So we have to take today with a grain of salt. It's kind of like when you're taking the mean or median of something and you throw out the high and you throw out the low and you just use everything else. This is one of those things where I throw out today's volume because of Kabuki Theater, but I'm not throwing out yesterday's volume and I neglected to talk about that last night, but we're talking about it tonight. It's important. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Doesn't change anything else, but it adds to the storyline. We need to know the entire storyline to figure out what the puzzle says. What if the puzzle says we're going 150 S&P handles higher? I think we want to know that. SMH, which is a pretty good indicator across the tech space. So yesterday, big volume, keeping on the volume conversation, big volume yesterday in the SMH on the up day, but today, not participating. Pretty much a flat day. Now, after a huge day like we had yesterday, it's not uncommon to see the market take a break. So all in all, nothing's changed here. Still working on potentially lower highs. We don't know that yet. This is potentially an ABC pattern. Don't know that yet unless it gets above here. These are just the possibilities. But nothing has changed in the SMH from what we discussed. The bigger picture is in concert with the energy space, the transports, the IWM, the SMH. They're all in the same camp. They're not confirming the breakout to new highs. Why not? And that, my friends, seems like a pretty good place to pull the ripcord. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My strategic forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app, and please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is Common Sense Market Analysis.